Hello and welcome to Assured by Grace. I'll be your host, Danny Woodward. And again, I'm joined by my co-host today, Pastor Phil Congdon. And today we want to talk about something a little bit different than what we've been on the track of for a while. I want to talk about faith. And, and more specifically, how can a believer, what are some tangible ways that a believer can strengthen their faith, mm. their walk with Christ uh, here in this life? And, and Phil has a real interesting Example, I think that he can share. Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've well, recently been up to? Yeah, this is uh, recently. I was on a, a, a trip uh, to Israel with a group, and we were able to visit a, a number of uh, historical sites, biblical sites. And uh, uh, this is not something that everybody is able to do, but for those who are. Uh, a a trip to what's referred to generally as the Holy Land, it can be a real faith-strengthening experience. And uh, there are a number of ways that it can be this. And uh, I thought I would share with you some of the, uh, just a few uh, of the places that uh, that we went and, and some biblical um, touch points that, uh just seeing sites it can help you to have a uh a greater uh, awareness of the truth of scripture the reality uh, of what happened you know I, I think that for many people uh the bible it, it seems like yeah it's got a lot of stories in it but I could read about ancient Egypt or the Phoenicians or the Romans or something, and and there are neat stories there too of what was going on, and and so for a lot of people the Bible has been reduced to like a, a few stories, you know, the creation and Abraham and Moses and and Joshua and all all these people, and so we have these stories, and we hear you know kids growing up in Sunday school hear those stories. But there comes a time when they say, well, what does that have to do with reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, this is going back quite a, a long time, when um, uh, there was a, a ministry that was expanding into Australia. And uh, I happened to, I've lived in Australia for about nine years. My wife is Australian. And... Um, and it was an interesting story about uh, this ministry from America that wanted to expand into Australia. And so they met with pastors uh, and these pastors got together and the ministry uh, shared about what they do. And it had to do with how to train families, something that we're going to talk about here. Uh, how to, How can Christians raise their families to know the Lord and love the Lord? And uh, it was really fascinating that a pastor at that meeting raised his hand and said, uh, you know, but isn't it true that you base everything that you teach on the Bible? And the the lead, uh, the person that was the leader from that ministry uh, that was for families, well, said, yes, of course, we view that as God's word. Yeah. And the pastor replied, how can a book that's 2,000 years old have anything to say to us today? A pastor says that. A pastor. Wow. 
And, and I know we think, oh, that's bizarre. A pastor would be the person who would stand up for Scripture, but don't believe it because you're going to find uh, tens of thousands of pastors in the world today who do not view the Bible as the authority. Um, the Bible as an authority has been eroded over the last half of a century primarily, but even beyond that, so that there are many people who would view the Bible as being a collection of myths, fables, religious stories, uh, kind of like Aesop's fables, you know, that are good lessons. Hey, let's learn something from that. But the idea of the the story, the creation narrative, or Noah and the flood, or the Tower of Babel, or the history of Israel, and and Daniel and the lion's den, and and then on down to Jesus, even and the story of the virgin birth and the resurrection, uh, all of those things. Um, many, uh, and I, I will even go beyond that. I'll say the the vast majority of. Bible scholars and professors, those who are teaching in the religion departments of, of major universities who are teaching this Bible, do not believe that it is true at all. Okay. They believe it is simply uh, a religious document. And, uh, and so this is, this is really uh, something where my trip to Israel, and for those who go to Israel and start to see these places, that's when you start saying, whoa, wait a minute. Something is going on here that a lot of professional Christians or theologians are attacking, but the evidence is here in stone, and you can't escape that. So uh, I think what I'd like to do let me just start with this. I want to just read uh, from Genesis 12. This is a passage when God was calling Abram, who um, had been living in Ur, and God calls Abram, and he says this to him. These are well-known verses, by the way. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Genesis then tells us that Abraham obeyed God. He left Ur. He traveled. God brought him to the land. In Genesis chapter 12, um, uh, verse 6, Abram passed through the land. This was the land of Canaan. Uh, as far as the site of Shechem, which is uh, right in the middle of the land today that we would call the country of Israel, uh, to the Oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. And this is something like 4,000 years ago. Uh, and if we just were playing the tape of history from that time to today, what you have is a history of this land constantly being 
defeated. The, the Hebrews, the Jews, have been taken into captivity. They come back. Uh, they're judged. They are scattered like seed in the wind everywhere. And then you look 4,000 years later, and here we are. And if you go back just 75 years, you had the final solution of the most powerful nation on earth, and that was the eradication of what people? The Jews. Uh, and uh, Hitler had proclaimed uh, that this was the one of the core tenets of his teaching. And some six million Jews were exterminated in the Holocaust. And three years after Hitler entered the grave, the nation of Israel was born. And it exists today surrounded by enemies that are publicly professing their goal being to destroy this nation. And I would say to anybody, first of all, if you want to have a testament to the existence of God, the power of an omnipotent God and his uh trustworthiness at keeping his promises. You look at Genesis 12 and you look at today and you say, yeah, there is a God. Now, there are other arguments for God and we could talk about that another time. But for me, I think the existence of Israel is an argument for the existence of God. Now, there are a lot of places that you can go and I could talk about dozens of places. What I'd like to do today, let me just... uh, dip down into history a few times, and then uh, I'll try to show, uh, hopefully in post-production, we can just put some pictures in so that you'll see these pictures. Uh, uh, Roughly 4,000, excuse me, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ, Abraham has come into the land. You know that Lot came into the land with him. Lot uh, moved into the Jordan River Valley down in the area of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And this was uh, the more fertile area. Abram stayed up in the hill country. And um, and subsequently, we read in Genesis 14, uh, in these days, uh, there weren't nations the way we think of them today. There were what we called city-states or kings of areas. And a number of kings from uh, the northern area of Canaan, up beyond where the Sea of Galilee is, uh, they came together and they they traveled down south and they defeated the kings uh, in the area where Lot lived. They came down the valley, they defeated those kings, and they took Lot prisoner. And in Genesis 14, we read this. Uh, this is in verse 12 of Genesis 14. It says that they took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed. So they took him, and they've taken him back north. The next verse says, a fugitive came and told Abram about this. Now this, it's just one verse in Scripture. When Abram heard this, this is Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men 
born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Verse 15 says, He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. About 25 years ago, a uh, the area of Dan, Tell Dan, uh, is an area that's well known. It's well known for for a variety of discoveries that have been made there. But a, a an archaeologist was um, digging and came upon a, a new site. He didn't know what it was, and subsequently it was uncovered. And uh, materials, uh, artifacts found there. Uh, um, revealed to the archaeologists that this was a site that was much older than other sites around it, even a thousand years older. Bill, let and, me ask you kind of a naive question. Someone watching this may have the same question I do. The, the Tel Dan, is that the same area of, of the nation of Israel where the tribe, the tribe of Dan lived? Yeah, it yes. is. Okay, and, and it's also a place because uh, that came later. Um, yeah. well, for example, yes, uh, but you can. These were places that, when Israel conquered the land uh-huh. a thousand, almost a thousand years later with Joshua, right? The land was uh, allotted out. Okay, but so Dan this, got Dan. No, uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that this is a place yeah. that was called Dan long before the tribe Joshua. Conquered the land, mm-hmm. but at that place, and very often in the Old Testament, people who have read the Bible they'll, they'll recognize that Dan was in the far north of the land that God gave to Abram, and that became Israel. So you will hear from Dan to Beersheba. They will say that that would be like us saying in America, from sea to shining sea, or from. New York to Los Angeles, you know, that's the breadth of our country. Mm -hmm. And in Israel, it was from Dan to Beersheba. Um, But anyway, uh, they've uncovered this and and it's a remarkable, you can see the the picture that uh, I've provided of this. It's today been um, uh, shown, proven to be this ancient place. Uh, and uh, the ruins of it uh, are very unique. Why is this important? We may not have the exact spot where Abram stood, but we have found a place, and we can read in the early chapters of Genesis that Abram traveled all the way up north to a stronghold called Dan, and now we have found a place that was preserved underground and had to be excavated. Uh, and it's a remarkable site. Now, uh, there, are, there are other sites, and uh, I am not uh, here to try to give an archaeological <laughs> breakdown of what was found. Archaeologists date what they find uh, in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's very obvious. There might be uh, a reference to a, a historical character that we know. But other times, 
It might be the kind of pottery that there is. And we, uh, we know that this kind of pottery or this, this kind of uh, uh, artifact was in use in a certain period. And so there are ways that they date things. Um, and, and I will say something else here, and that is that my faith in the truth of Scripture is not based on that this is the exact site, but it is strengthened by the fact that we look at this and we say there's evidence there. Yeah, It's not like we're looking for the Easter bunny. No. We're looking at history and we're seeing that it's there. Well, it seems like in today's age, I mean, any given week you can, you can go on to the news and you can do a search and, and query archaeological findings. And the yeah. most that you'll find are, it seems like it's in Israel. Oh, Israel, yeah. you just dig a hole and you find an archaeological. Yeah, just last week, uh, there was a, uh, an article, um, uh, there was a, a site that was uncovered and they were looking at a mosaic and, and found it and were reading it. And it, it seems like they, they probably found now a site that would be strongly evidenced to be the birth, uh, home of Peter and Andrew in Bethsaida. It's very, very interesting. Now, this is fascinating. Uh, here in America, we, you know, you can go and look at the log cabin that Abraham Lincoln grew up in yeah. and things like that. Uh, that's a couple hundred years ago. That's great. Uh, actually, it's not even a couple hundred years ago. It's like, you know, maybe 150 years or something. But it, it's a while back. But here we're talking about things that are thousands of years old. The second thing I, I wanted to mention to you is another site that that travelers to Israel get to see. And, and this is southern uh, Israel as you're down by the Dead Sea. Uh, and here again, uh, I'll, let, I'll let you listeners just look in your own Bibles. A place that is known as En Gedi, E-N-G-E-D-I. And En Gedi is talked about uh, in the early years of the monarchy of Israel. Uh, Saul had become king, but he was not a good king. And God informed him that he was taking the kingdom from him and giving it to another. And Samuel went and anointed a boy, a young lad named David. And uh, David subsequently was involved in the killing of Goliath, the giant from Gath, a Canaanite. and. Uh, the Israelites, uh, you know, liked David, and Saul decided he needed to get rid of him. So he chased him around for 20 years and tried to kill him. And there's a story of David once uh, in the Old Testament. He's, he's hiding in the caves of En Gedi. This was a, the area where only the mountain goats would go. And, you know, we might think, well, that's a neat story because the story actually, this is a great Sunday school story. David's hiding in a cave with his mighty men and Saul with his soldiers is trying to find him and kill him. And uh, Saul goes into a cave 
to relieve himself and doesn't know that David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. <laughs> and David's men say to him, uh, hey, God's given your enemy into your hands. Go out, kill him. He's sleeping out there. David says, no, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. But he does go out and cuts off the hem of his garment. So he has a corner of it. And then Saul subsequently gets up and wanders off with the soldiers. And it's a very rocky land. And so Saul has gone back down into a valley. And David comes out and says, hey, look, I could have taken your life. And, you know, there would be people who would say, well, that's a great story. But then you look at today. You head up from the Dead Sea, and it's a dry land. And the pictures that you'll see here, I'll show you one picture. It just shows what it looks like. It looks like a rocky desert. And then you start to notice there's some grain. And you have to go through a little tunnel, and it's hidden back in there, but you eventually get to this beautiful pool and waterfall. Somebody was asking me the other day, where does that water come from? You know what? You got me because there's no snow. I promise you down there, but there is this waterfall. And here we are. That was a thousand years BC, roughly. We're now 3000 years after that. And you can still go to it today. And that strengthens your faith. Because you say, what the Bible says can be evidence. There's, there's evidence that it's true. It's not like something we're making up. There is evidence that what the Bible says is true. Let me take you just to a couple more places. Um, obviously, uh, the place that people who travel to Israel love to go to more than probably anywhere else is Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a magnificent city. Uh, to this day, there's an old city, and uh, there there are hundreds of sites where there has been excavation done. And even in recent years, just in the last 10, 15, 20 years, uh, discoveries have been made. And there are more discoveries in Jerusalem and all around Jerusalem uh, of sites that are that have a reference to the Bible. Now, the most famous site is, is this site. This is the, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Uh, and, and this is um, this is a wall that is considered uh, sacred, holy uh, by Jews. And uh, as you can see in the picture, uh, there are hundreds and hundreds that will come to pray there. and. Uh, uh, their prayer is for the peace of Jerusalem, and I prayed at that wall, and I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, I pray for the return of the Messiah, who will bring in that peace. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that there are, while that area is maybe more symbolic, um, that there are excavations that have dug down and found older areas. And on the south side of Temple Mount, there are these excavated stairs going up to what would have been the temple. And uh, many 
Christians will know well the story of Peter and John in uh, um, in Acts three, where they're going up to the temple to pray, and there's a, a, a man there, and they heal the man, and he's walking and leaping and praising the Lord, and then Peter preaches another sermon at the very dawn of the church age. And I stood on those stairs and you look up at now what are the restored uh, walls that are up there. Um, These walls were built centuries later. And yet you realize that they were built by people who could see the ruins of the old walls and they built these up. We can't see those old ruins now like they would have. But even standing there, what you realize is that you are standing in what is essentially the same place on some of the same stones that Jesus and Peter and Paul, they would have stood on as well. Now, is my faith based on the fact that that's the exact spot? No, it's not. And we understand that it's not like we have a rock that Jesus carved a cross in and said, I am Jesus, I was here. You know, that kind of banal thing isn't what we're looking for. What we're looking at is history, though, that has been uncovered and that wasn't known. Just imagine that somebody went to the bottom of the ocean and discovered a fish that we had never seen before. And nobody would say, well, that can't really be a fish, you know, because, you know, or that we don't know whether that's real or not. You you would look at the picture, you would look at the site, and you would say, that's really amazing. We didn't know that before. And that's what we are looking at today. When you go to Israel, you're looking at places that were not known for 2,000 years, and they're now uncovered. And so for me, I just say, yeah, that is a faith-strengthening experience. The the whole thing, uh, I'll end with this. The whole whole, uh, basis for our faith is is really going to be God's Word that we understand this as God's revelation to man. And even there, when you travel to Israel, I tell you that you you will most likely, uh, I think every group would go to uh, the area called Qumran, an early community uh, of uh, a sect of religions, religious people. But, uh, in the middle of the last century, uh, there were um, documents, scrolls that were found in caves. Uh, some were found uh, at Masada, which is uh, a, a rocky uh, plateau that is famous for Jews, uh, Jewish um, rebels in 70. 3 AD, um, committing mass suicide rather than um, be taken as prisoners uh, of Rome. Uh, 
but others were found in these caves, just they were just caves where evidently in this this community, they took their holy writings and knowing that they were going to be defeated by the Romans, they hid them up here in these caves. And so we now have uh, what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's amazing, amazing. They found scrolls that date from before Christ. And these scrolls have portions of the Old Testament, sometimes large portions of the Old Testament. And we find that the authority of Scripture is not, uh, not only is it not undermined, it is validated validated because these ancient documents prove that, that our Scripture that we have today is true. It is, it has not been uh, tampered with. It has not been destroyed in any way. So maybe this is uh, what I would say. First of all, uh, yes, there is evidence all through Israel at sites that the Bible is true. There's also evidence that what we hold in our hands is what was originally recorded. So that's yeah. A second thing, and I would just, uh, I, I would encourage anyone who can, if you have the opportunity, uh, travel to Israel. It's a faith-strengthening experience. You know, and, and Phil, for me, I, I've never been to Israel. I uh, would love to go someday if I can ever get my kids old enough to uh, to leave the country. But the the. Th- the thing, you know, everything you said, I've, I've, I've always been fascinated with the, the sites, the, the fact that, that Israel is, is essentially a nation that has risen out of nothing with a culture that has been rebuilt around it and recast in this modern era to be in the same language. They resurrected a dead language. I mean, th- those things are amazing. But, you know, I'll just add one other thing that, that I find it as a, as a biologist extremely interesting and it's the the uh the resurrection of the judean date palm and i think oh, i've, yeah, I've told you about you, this if y'all guys want to want to explore something that's really interesting look up the the judean date palm and you'll see that there was a a professor in the early part the early 2000s uh, they had actually found at masada a bunch of seeds that had been stored and preserved for you know, almost 2,000 years. They found it uh, the year after Israel became a nation. Hmm. And and they kept these seeds. They stored them and preserved them. And this, this professor said, you know what? I've developed this culture, that a bunch of nutrients and, and whatnot to get seeds to germinate. Let me just try. And so she picked out the handful of seeds that were the, the ones that looked the most viable Put them in this culture, and this is a this is a uh, an, an Israeli uh, professor. And you know what happened? We had seeds germinate after about two thousand years of of being dormant, and uh, and they were able to germinate. And they named they got uh, the first time they did it, they got one seedling, and it was a male, and they named him Methuselah. 
the longest <laughs> living person in the Bible. And subsequently, they found uh, several more in some some areas near Masada, and they were able to germinate more. And so they have male and female uh, Judean date palms. And in, in 2020, during COVID, they had their first uh, year of fruit of the return of the Judean date. Well, you'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of dates and olives and, uh, palms, uh, uh, all through Israel. And it, it's, I tell you just, uh, you know, if I would, uh, borrow from that, that's, uh, sort of is a parable of, uh, of God's, um, his remembrance uh, God doesn't forget his promises. And while, you know, that may seem like, you know, oh, well, that's just, you know, some scientists and what they've done. Uh, there's a lesson here. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, on the promise of God's word, who said, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. So now you have believed in Jesus. You can take God at his word. He's a, a God uh, who powerfully keeps his promises. Trust in him. And if that was your beginning, you started out, you trusted in Jesus Christ. But maybe in recent days, with everything going on in this crazy world, you, you feel like you've just sort of drifted and you've started to lose your way. Let this be just uh, sort again symbolic kind of a uh, a way for you to to remember that God is faithful, and uh, uh, and if you have the chance, um, uh, I'll be uh, traveling to Israel again next year. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd encourage everyone who can to to join a, a group and travel to Israel. And see firsthand the faithfulness of God. It is everywhere. So that's that's it. Um, our, our the name of this podcast, of course, is is assured by grace, and we want you to be assured that God is the one you can trust in. He'll uh, he'll never fail you. All right. Thanks, Phil.